0: following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Last Sunday we took a survey and the results of the survey came back very, very exciting, very great news for our congregation. The whole purpose of this survey was to see, um, really, kind of gauge the health of our church as far as our connectivity to our community. Go ahead and show the results there. If if a church becomes disconnected from its community, right? Then what good is it? Right? I mean, it's just a club. You're just you're like any other club. If it's just you and your are friends, then that's it. So a church, its life and vitality has to, has to be connected to the community. And so this told us here that 84% of the people in our church have a well-established friendship, a friend, that they, somebody they can invite to be a part of Easter or the series following. If those numbers were reversed, if it was 1684 then we'd be ready to close the doors, okay? Our saltiness, our light ability in this community would be near its end. Sadly, sadly in America, every weekend, hundreds of churches close every weekend because that happens. Everybody in the church knows everybody and all their friends are in the church, and they no longer have any influence in their community. And they fold. So ours is very healthy. Very high numbers in all of those categories. So that encouraged me a great deal. Last Sunday, I started talking about the most loving thing that you can do for anyone. Is to invite them to meet Jesus. Absolutely, by, by far, The most loving thing you can do. And if you're here today because somebody invited you, what that means is that person probably likes you a lot. Okay? They like you because that's the kindest thing you can do for anyone. It's not give them money or give them your kidney or anything. The kindest, most loving thing you can do is invite somebody to meet Jesus. So we left off halfway through the conversation that Jesus was having with the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman, in John chapter 4. So you can grab your Bible and turn to that chapter. We'll pick up from where we left off. Jesus has these encounters with people that are recorded in the Bible, and all of these encounters tell us a great deal about Jesus. What he says to people, how he responds to them, gives us an idea of how he responds to us and what he says to us. And so we can learn a lot from these encounters that he has. This is with a Samaritan woman. And he said to her that he had living water. I have living water that I can give to you, and you'll never be thirsty ever again. And, of course, he wasn't talking about the water in the well. I mean, she was drawing water from a well and and giving it to Jesus, and she was getting some for her family. But Jesus was talking about something far deeper, It was talking about this chronic dissatisfaction that's in the heart of man, all of mankind. And it's this this nagging, sinking feeling that there's got to be more for this life. There's got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing. It comes from two deep questions that we ask What will make me happy? And what will give me a satisfying life? So let's pick up where we left off here in John 4, verse 15. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. And Go get your husband, Jesus said to her. Well, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Now, isn't that the strangest compliment you've ever read? (laughs) He's complimenting. You spoke the truth. Now, it doesn't say, woe in verse 19, but I think it definitely could. Whoa, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim that here at Mount Gerizim is where ancestors worship? So he lays this bombshell on her. I'm going to tell you all about your moral failings. And it's like, whoa, and so the best way to deflect something like that is a question, right? (laughs) Perfect, right? That's what you would do. So he throws a question at him. He says, well, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, but we Jews, we know all about him. Salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, and indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus drops this unbelievable bombshell on this woman. And he says to her, I am the Messiah. I'm the one you're looking for. What an amazing encounter! So she immediately says to Jesus, I want this living water. Give me this water. And then he turns the tables on her completely and says, go get your husband. So we go from this nice, pleasant little interchange to, now let's talk about your moral failings. And it seems bizarre at first. I mean, you don't understand. How does he go from, let's talk about living water to go get me your husband? Seems like a great leap. He suddenly changes the subject. Now it's not living water, it's her history with men. But Jesus isn't actually changing the subject. He's nudging her and he's saying, listen, in order for you to understand this living water, you must first understand how you've been seeking that water your own way. You've been pursuing this your whole life through men. The drive to be happy. I want to be happy. I want to enjoy my life. And I want to be satisfied with my life. I want to have the sense that I've lived a good life. And so she sought to find that in men. And it was simply saying... Listen, darling, how's that working for you? It's not working too well. Because you've burned through five of those relationships, and now you're on the sixth one. But There's nothing new here, is there? I mean, although this text is really old, we see this all the time, you and I. We're very familiar with this. We see it all around us. Another example could be the young guy who's who's young and talented and smart and does well in high school and in athletics and goes to a great college and becomes a lawyer and everybody's like, wow, what a bright future ahead of him. He goes to law school and succeeds and gets invited to go to a great law firm and and just moving up and up, and marries this beautiful high school sweetheart of his, and they have this big mansion and nice cars and a couple kids, and still doing law. And you, everybody would look at that, and go, oh, "That pinnacle of success! Yes, yes, he's got it. He arrived." And so now he is here, seventy-seven years old. He's got this sinking, nagging feeling inside of his heart that is life is coming to an end. Nobody lives forever. 77. Even with all the wealth and best doctors, we're looking at the end here. And now he's been through two marriages. The girl that he's living with now is only one year different than his own daughter of which he doesn't have a relationship with. And this thing is gnawing at him all the time. All that, all that stuff, all that pursuit, everything you got, all of that, was it worth it? Are you satisfied? Can you at peace just say, wow, I've got everything that I would ever want. I have no regrets and I'm ready to die. He couldn't say it. He didn't want to die. He was afraid. He had this chronic dissatisfaction in his heart that haunted him as if it were the Grim Reaper about to drag him into this dark abyss. He's corrupt. And he knows it. He's afraid. He's alone. And still unsatisfied. We see that all the time. At this point, the Samaritan woman, she's completely shocked. And so she says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> And so she asks him the ultimate question. It really is the ultimate one. If you think about it, That's, that is the question of all questions. Who is right? Wouldn't you love to know? The whole world would like to know, right? Are the Muslims right? All the stuff they're doing and everything, are they the ones that have it right and we're all wrong? Is it the Hindus or maybe the Buddhists? Maybe the atheists got it right and we're all really messed up. Or maybe some Mormons. Or maybe it's the Catholics, or maybe it's the Protestants. Who has it right? That's her question. People are still asking that very question today. They want to know who has it right. And Jesus tells her, "Listen, the time has come when the location where you're worship doesn't matter. It's not in a building. That if you call on the name of the Lord, you can have a relationship with him right where you're at. And then he drops this bomb and says, I am the Messiah. I'm the one you're looking for. I am the right one. And if you look to the end of the story, what happens is she goes back to town. She, She takes off. I mean, the conversation ends right there. And she takes off, goes back to the town. And John tells us that she tells all of her Samaritan family members, relatives, friends, everybody, tells them about Jesus. They go to meet Jesus. They believe in him. She and a whole bunch of Samaritans. Remember, Samaritans and the implications of that became followers of Jesus that day. And so there's one powerful truth that you can boil this down to. And that's this that how in earth, how did she respond to him with faith? How did she have faith? Well, I mean, was it that she was this some kind of moral degenerate and so she was, you know, so, so off morally that she was desperate and so that's why she responded with faith? No, no, because tons of people in worse shape than her don't respond. So that can't be it. Was it because she had some kind of religious affiliation and she knew a little bit about worship and knew some of the lingo and that's why she was open? That's why she responded? No, because a lot of people who know much more than that reject Jesus. She responded to him with faith because he gave her faith. Jesus gave her that faith to be able to respond to him. You see, nobody has faith on their own. There is nothing inside you of of your own that generates faith. Your faith comes from God. He gives you the ability to have faith. He opens the door for you to have faith, to respond to him. He reaches out first. And then you respond to it. Here's a story about Mary. If you go further down to John 20, now Jesus is he's risen from the dead. He's at the tomb there, and Mary Magdalene shows up. And John tells us that Mary goes, and the, the, the tomb is open, and uh, there's two angels in there, but she doesn't know, know they're angels. And 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 then she sees this guy. He's the gardener, she thinks, the guy who's taking care of all the, the grave sites in um, And she, but she doesn't, it's Jesus, and she doesn't know it, she doesn't recognize him. And so finally Jesus says to her, Mary. And she just leaps onto him and grabs him. And he's like, Mary, let go of me. I'm not going to the Father yet. Don't touch me. Don't hold on to me. Okay. Now, this is Mary Magdalene. We know her story. She was a follower of Christ for years. Followed him everywhere and loved him, and I mean, you can see it in you know, the passion of her voice. Or she says to him when she thinks he's the gardener, she says, "Please, please, please, tell me where his body is. Where have you laid him? I will go and get him. I will care for him." Please, I mean, you don't do that for somebody you don't know or don't love. I mean, that's a passionate love that she had for Jesus, and she can't recognize him. I doesn't know it's him. And I counted about 20 times where Jesus said previously, I'm going to die, I'm going to raise from the dead. So it's not that she didn't know this was going to happen. She knew it was going to happen. She knew who it was. And she still didn't know. It wasn't until Jesus said, Mary, he gave her that faith, he spoke her name. All opened up to her, and she responded. And that's exactly what happens when you and I, when we reach out to somebody, a friend, a coworker, a relative neighbor, we reach out to them and invite them to meet Jesus. It's just quite simply God speaking their name and giving them the faith to respond. Because without that, it goes absolutely nowhere. pray that God would give them faith to respond to Jesus and then they will